Welcome into the bank, a show which covers the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. The bank is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. It's April 13th, 2016, and you are listening to The Bank, a Baltimore Ravens podcast brought to you by Baltimore Sports and Life. I'm your host, Jason B. Hershorn, and joining me today are Andy Guider and Gabriel Ferguson. Gentlemen, free agency effectively ended several weeks ago, and the NFL draft begins in just over two weeks. You followed the Ravens very closely this offseason. What are your expectations heading into the final stretch of the draft process? The draft is one of the things that I kind of dig into quite deeply. I, I'm pretty much a draft nerd, you might say. I... I like to uh, look into all the different prospects, sometimes two or three hundred deep. Um, I think for the Ravens, this is just a unique opportunity drafting so early. Uh, they haven't had a draft pick in the top ten since I think what Jamal Lewis, or I guess I guess uh, two thousand eight. They had a top ten pick, but then they traded out of it. Um, so this this will be a really um, interesting and unique period for Ravens fans who can actually get excited about some of the top prospects instead of trying to find some of the guys who slide to the end of the first round. Um, one of the things that I always find interesting this time of year is there's so much misinformation out there. And I think it's important for everybody just to not get caught up in what all the rumors are because, you know, teams have probably had their draft boards, you know, settled a couple months ago, probably right after the combine. They might make a few minor adjustments here and there, but um, it's pretty set what they're going to do, who they are targeting. Um, so, you know, take what you hear in the in the blogosphere with a grain of salt. Um, but that's that's kind of my, my thoughts as to what, what we're going to be looking at. Yeah, I think your last point is a very important one because we really do get a lot of information that we will subsequently learn was totally inaccurate. Teams love to lie at this time of the year for various reasons, but with the Ravens especially, a team that doesn't tend to, let's just say, publicize their stance on players and situations, it makes makes it even stranger when you do hear something come out about you know who the Ravens are meeting with, players that they might value, and as you mentioned, they are picking so high in the draft, a position that they are not familiar with, at least not recently. So I'm, I'm going to flip this over to Andy now. Given that the Ravens have not picked this high in a while, does does it really change the way you think they're going to approach the draft, or do you think it's still going to be the same concept just happening earlier in the process? You know, I would expect, you know, Ozzie Newsom, first of all, to, to have a plan, you know, a, a real idea about what he wants to accomplish in this draft and the fact that they'll be, um, you know, picking so high, you know, that's where you, again, I expect them to have a plan to 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 find an impact player. Now the question is going to be where is that impact player going to, going to be on, on what side of the ball? You know, but you can expect something, you know, you can set something big out of a number six draft pick, obviously, you know, coming to a, to a franchise, uh, franchise like the Ravens. So, you know, I, I would look for, you know, uh, definitely to have a plan for an impact, an impact player early. And then also I think that they're in a place where, 
you know, those seven picks that they've got in the first four rounds. You know, I think they are going to be looking for players who can come and play and compete. And I don't think they're going to be looking for projects. I don't think they're going to be looking for, you know, top talent that's maybe slid down the board a little bit from an injury. I think, I think they're looking for, you know, answers to, to be had now. You know, I, I think what they've got, you know, this is, you know, this is a time I, I kind of go back. They've, you know, they've got a franchise quarterback and, you know, they need to capitalize on that. You know, you don't, you don't always have one of those on your roster. So they need to, they need to make sure they, they create a roster that can win now. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, the idea that they're going to be able to bring in a lot of players. And we've seen with Oz Newsom in the past, he likes to trade down and accumulate extra picks. Most of the best GMs like to do this because even the best talent evaluators are going to miss a fair portion of the time, which is why I don't think it's out of the question that the Ravens don't actually select at six because they're positioned right ahead of the San Francisco 49ers, one of the teams that most people believe is at least going to consider a quarterback at their first round pick. So the Ravens, especially if, you know, let's say they value four players at the very top of the draft, not five or six, and those guys are off the board come their pick, maybe somebody who wants a quarterback, if there is one still on the board, could make a very good offer to the Ravens to move back. I think that's very likely because if you look at the Ravens draft history, especially lately, they're not just picking seven times or eight times. They are picking many, many more times, and that's why you've seen them bring in so much talent. You know, you'll have individual draft classes that didn't quite pan out, but for the most part with Newsom, you're talking about getting three to four impact players early on, and maybe even more than that down the line. You know, there's no question, and you, uh, you kind of go back and look at some of those recent drafts. You know, you had done a nice piece on the 2014 class, and you know, I looked at the, at the 2013 class, you know, and those obviously those those top two picks, you know, are not even not even the plans to be on the field, um, coming off an injury, uh, and, and you know, so avoiding that is obviously huge in the effect that it has uh, in the coming years. So there's no question if that player's not there at six that they want, yeah, you could you could definitely see them moving down. Don't, probably don't see them moving up. That doesn't seem like something they they would most likely do at this point. No, especially not at six and. If they can just get a couple of extra late-round picks, we've seen what that front office can do with them. I mean, you mentioned the 2013 draft. They got Ricky Wagner, one of the better offensive linemen on their team, in the fifth round. Might have been, arguably, the best offensive tackle in that draft altogether. Uh, when you look at some of their other late-round picks, uh, John Urschel, who's probably going to be a starter this year in place of Osemele, who left in free agency. Like these, these picks, even though they don't make a lot of headlines when they happen— really do end up mattering for the team, which is why, again, I, I could see them trading down if they get a really nice offer. Uh, let, let's transition a little bit to some actual news for the team. I mean, there is sometimes actual news at this point in the offseason, that being that Dennis Pitta has restructured his contract with the Ravens, and it looks like he's at least going to give it a try in 2016 after missing so much time the last couple of years. So I, I guess my question to you guys, and I'll start off with you, Gabe, do you think that there's a real chance that Pitta becomes a contributor this season, or is this just a Hail Mary attempt by the team? Well, it's, it's a really interesting question because, as you mentioned, Dennis Pitta was a pretty instrumental piece of the offense, um, I guess dating back to the Super Bowl run. He was, I mean, in the second half of the season, in the, in the playoffs especially, he was one of Flacco's main targets, if not his main target. He was, you know, a guy you could count on to move the chains on third down, pick up 
those those yards. He can make a lot of plays after the catch. He was just a really developing into uh, a great player. Um, it's it's really difficult to say what exactly he'll be able to contribute. His his two injuries were just so unfortunate. Um, I'd like to say that there might be some potential that he could be, you know, someone who contributes without seeing him on the field for almost two years. It's kind of impossible to say for sure. I think it's promising that they didn't just release him and gave him an incentive late in contract where he has you know, the potential to actually be a real player here. Um, but on the, on the other hand, I think we have to temper our expectations. So um, fortunately, the Ravens do have quite a bit of depth at the position. Um, and I think that's something that Ozzie really made sure to to cover with uh, the signing of you know Benjamin Watson. So um, it's it's promising, but I would I wouldn't I wouldn't be too excited about it. Yeah, we I do think we need to temper the expectations of this very significantly because while Pitt was such an important weapon for the Ravens during that Super Bowl run, I mean that year he finished with just under 700 yards during the regular season, seven touchdowns, averaged 11 yards per reception, and when you're talking about the Ravens' offense, having that guy working in the middle of the field in that way is so valuable. But he's only played in seven games since that season. That is a very small amount, and those injuries are very significant. So. Like you, I feel like this is, you know, if if he can contribute something, that would be great. But I'm more in the camp of they'll give it a go and decide ultimately that his career is over. Because we also have to remember, he's not a young player. He, and he never really was since he joined the Ravens. I mean, he came in as a return missionary playing at BYU. So he's going to be 31 come the start of the regular season. That's a, that's a pretty old age for a guy who has a significant hip injury in his very recent past. But... You, you brought up another great point, that they have so much depth at tight end in case this doesn't work out. So I'm going to flip this to Gabe now, or sorry, flip this to Andy now. Do you think this situation or situations like this with the suspension of some of their tight ends is why Benjamin Watson joined Baltimore this offseason? You know, I can, uh, you know, obviously having depth, you know, is, is, is so important. And obviously that position, you know, is, is an important one in their, you know, in their offensive scheme. But you know, kind of going back to to Peter. I mean, he, you know, when a guy's coming off an injury, I'll kind of dip in a, a little bit into uh, you know my coaching background, and you know, it actually says you know it says quite a lot about the organization. You know, wanting to, you know, we're talking about you know will he contribute? You know, this and that, but you know, clearly the guy, you know, there's something else, you know, probably working there. You know, in terms of his worth within the organization, you know, and leadership, you know, those types of words you got. You got young players that are, you know, wondering what it's, you know, what it's like to be a, what are professional athletes supposed to do? You know, there's a guy that's coming back from a, you know, a severe injury. You know, just just having him in that facility, uh, you know, whether or not, you know, whether or not he becomes a significant contributor, you know, he he's an important part of, you know, what they're trying to do from a developmental, you know, aspect from so many of these younger players, uh, and I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's an important. An important piece to to kind of remember, you know. Obviously, somebody with his with his history, uh, both in the, at BYU and then obviously coming off this injury. So it's that's pretty impressive, you know, that when professional organizations do this with players. All right. Well, let's just get out here on this question. So again, the Ravens are picking at six. What do you guys view as the best case scenario for that pick? The worst case scenario for that pick? Let's start off with Gabe. 
I think best case scenario is if some reason Jalen Ramsey drops to number six. I think he is the best player in the draft. I think he would be an amazing Raven. He would fill in nicely. He could play cornerback. He could play some safety. He can play in the box. He can rush the passer. He's an, a, a tremendous prospect. Um, it's very unlikely that he falls that far. So best reasonable player would probably be Joey Bosa, in my opinion. Um, he's a great pass rusher. He's not the best pass rusher I've ever seen coming out of college, but he um, he can align up on the defensive line from multiple positions. He can rush on the interior. He can rush off the edge. He's a very good run defender. I think that's the best likely scenario for the Ravens. Worst case scenario is they just take a player that I don't think is worth the number six selection. Um, I think Ronnie Stanley, in my opinion, would probably be the worst case scenario being drafted number six. I'd rather see a trade back in that situation, presumably because the top defenders are off the board. Um, at least that's that's how I see it. All right, let's flip it over to Andy. I think from a from a best case, you know, I think that uh, you know they they look at that uh, that running back out of Ohio State. I think I think Ellie, I think he's a dynamic player. You know, there'll be some debate, you know, whether he's uh, worthy of the number six pick. But yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, you know his his skill set. I think that his strength with running the football is. Uh, I think that's I think that's pretty strong. I don't think that comes around a whole lot. So, to me, I think that's a way that again they try and surround Flacco with that with that talent, uh, and and again try and try and capitalize on what they have on the offensive side of the ball. And I think uh, you know whether or not that's in their plans or not. You know, I think if if he is if he is off, then you know I, I do think they they trade down and and again look to look to find some. Look to find some some again talent. I think on the offensive side of the ball, I think is I think that's where those that first pick, if not that first, then definitely that second pick should be. I think that's their uh, best. And again, yeah, worst would be I say you know sort of moving down and, and then not getting anybody of impact, sort of of impact uh, worthiness um, if they trade down too far in that first round. Well, I'm going to agree with Gabe here. If Jalen Ramsey's available at any pick after the first, it's a best-case scenario for that team. He is, I think, the best player in this draft and one of the more unique uh, defensive backs we've seen in a long time. And for a Ravens team that has had such a hole in that secondary since Ed Reed left and since they started to see some of the depletion of their cornerbacks, having a guy that could really fill in both spots would be the ideal. The worst-case scenario for them that I can think of would be if only one of the quarterbacks goes ahead of them uh, in the draft and there doesn't seem to be a huge market in a trade for them to move back because, you know, it's one thing to say that they should move back. It's another thing to actually do it. Sometimes there isn't really an offer there, at least not one that a team can reasonably accept. That could end up being the case with the Baltimore Ravens. And if they can't leverage, you know, that quarterback 49ers dynamic and there's not someone who they value as being the sixth best overall player, then they're kind of in a bind. They'll get someone that might be able to help them, but not someone you'd normally associate with having the value of the sixth overall pick. Um, there, there's going to be someone there in all likelihood that is going to make an impact. You know, if it's Ronald Stanley, I don't actually have a problem with that for the Ravens because they do need to improve that offensive line. And there seems to be some question, but with, both from the ownership and the, uh, the coaching staff, what his actual value is to the team. So 
if Eugene Monroe's not going to be part of the long-term future, bring in someone like Ronnie Stanley, who, if nothing else, should be an above-average pass protector. That alone is enough, I think, to validate a top-ten pick. But we'll have to say. Oh, go ahead. I just wanted to—I thought both of you had some interesting things to say, and um, maybe just to add to the conversation a little bit. um, I think I kind of disagree with Andy, because I I really think the defense needs to be the side of the ball is addressed early. Um, the Ravens just don't have any playmakers on that side of the ball, as I see it. C.J. Mosley, maybe on a good day, is a dynamic player, but he has a lot of limitations. Um, Suggs and Dumerville are both in their 30s. They had, well, obviously Suggs was injured. Dumerville had kind of a down year. And, you know, the, behind them, they don't have much in terms of pass rushers. Um, they're, they're not creating turnovers. They're not getting sacks. I think... I think the the defense is really what needs to be the focus. I, I mean, that's just maybe that's just being a lifelong Ravens fan. I, I see that the defensive side of the ball is lacking. I see that you know that need on defense. You know, I believe that you know with those picks, those seven in the in the top you know top four rounds, I, I think there's going to be ample space to address that defense. And now I completely agree. I mean. I, I'm with you. I, you know, I didn't bring up Jalen Ramsey because, I, I, yeah, I think he's going to be long gone. But, you know, I think if you can find that 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 dynamic of a player, then you know, I, I would I would agree. I think though that you know they're going to be able to find talent, um, you know, in that in that mid round area. You know, they'll be able to get a guy or two. You know, that ends up in the mix. Um, you know, if they can find that game changer, then then yeah, I just. You know, it just feels like again with with what they have with with their quarterback. I just mm-hmm. boy, it just be it just be said that you know again, sort of like have him hold serve over there. You know, I mean, I think he's a he's a game changer guy that wins games. Um, but he, you know, unfortunately, he's going to have to have that that talent ar- again around him consistently to do that. But uh, I think he's a special player. So I, I, that's kind of where my where I lean uh, on what they might do. It actually makes sense uh, what both of you are saying to me because on the one hand, they definitely do need to get some more edge rushers in that defense and it's very hard to find those guys later in the draft. For the most part, you're talking about your top 15 picks and if you don't get them there, you're probably not going to get them at all. So I could see them going that route or at least I could see them thinking about it but then you look at the draft board there are not a lot of great edge rushers in this year's draft you mentioned Joey Bosa he's actually not a great fit for the 3-4 defense that they run in Baltimore and he's not even that great of an athlete so it makes it harder for him to play in space which we would have to do there Uh, Shaq Lawson might be the best of those edge guys but is he worth the six overall pick I think that's a big question mark I'm not sure that he is and with the offense, they definitely need to add more talent, especially in the receiving court, because even if they're able to get another remarkable season out of uh, Steve Smith Sr., you know, the guy's a thousand years old. At some point, you're going to need to replace him. But you can find receivers later in the draft that can make an impact, and they are going to have, presumably, Brashard Perriman contributing something this year, effectively his real rookie year. So... A lot of things to concern ourselves with. There's going to be plenty of time to discuss them. As I mentioned at the top, we have two weeks before the draft. Uh, We will have plenty of time afterwards to dissect this before we get into training camp. So I want to thank you all for listening to the first trial edition of the Bank Baltimore Ravens podcast brought to you by Baltimore Sports and Life. I am Jason B. Hershorn. Again with me, Andy Guider, Gabriel Ferguson. We will talk to you guys next week.